Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Elroy Cahill, head teacher of Kingsley Academy, an academy located in Central Hounslow, which currently has an Ofsted Good rating. Elroy, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, we might as well uh, pop directly over to the question side of the interview. Um, Terrific. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, for me, leader is somebody who is able to forge a path um, so that others can then follow. And it's someone who is principled and it's mm-hmm. someone who gives direction and inspires others to want to do more and contribute a lot. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, I think it varies from time to time. I'd like to think that I have very high expectations. Uh, The school that I currently work at um, had been underperforming for a number of years. Uh, We recently got an Ofsted good rating. So I'd like to say that my leadership is pace setting. So I set uh, the standard that I expect others to meet. Uh, I would like to say authentic in the sense that uh, what I say I do, and I don't expect others to do things that I myself won't do. And I'm always guided by my principles and my morals as well. And they they keep me on the right track. Now, of course, um, within a school, uh, you are not only leading one sort of demographic, if, if you will. You have uh, two or three you know, students, staff uh, and parents uh, to deal with. Um, does, do you need to execute different leadership styles for each one of those groups? Definitely. I think the leadership that you would demonstrate to students would, in the main, be inspiring, but also really firm and resolute. I think with staff, it varies from time to time. Obviously, there's elements from how you lead students that would come over to how you lead adults. Um, but you do adapt your leadership style depending on um, you know, if it's an experienced member of staff or if it's somebody who you want to encourage to take a step up and take a promotion or if it's you're challenging under performance, your leadership style will, will vary day to day. And I think, again, your leadership style will change when you're interacting with parents and the local community and governors because, again, you need to kind of tailor your leadership towards your audience. Now, of course, uh, this this might be a slightly sticky question to answer. But which group do you find the most difficult to lead? <laughs> um, <laughs> at times it can be staff. And I think that um, our staff at Kingsley are terrific. But I think when you have a lot of professionals who've got very strong views, that can at times be a challenge. <laughs> um, I think our parents and our students, by and large, are far easier to work with. Uh, our staff are terrific. Please don't get me wrong. But um, sometimes that can be the most challenging element of the role. Now, let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you were first starting out in the world of work. Was there any particular set of circumstances or individuals who uh, influenced the way that you lead today? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Um, So when I trained to be a teacher, I worked with um, a really inspiring head teacher. Well, she was head of department at the time, Catherine Hutley. And she was somebody who was really principled and always stood by making the right decision, even when it was difficult to do so. 
because she grounds all her decisions in what was best for the students. And that's something that I've taken with me mm-hmm. and something that I've demonstrated, hopefully, in my leadership. Um, when I started out as a leader, I worked with a really inspiring head teacher, Chris Malavand, who, again, was somebody who was able to reassure me that the job of a leader is never done. <laughs> There's always more to do. And it's an awareness of what you can achieve in one given day that helps you stay sane at times. What's your advice uh, to young people looking to enter the uh, education profession? I would say definitely do it. It's inspiring. Uh, No day is ever the same. Uh, Sometimes there is a stigma around education that it is incredibly challenging, that students are very poorly behaved that it's quite low paid, all of those things. But I would say that if you find the right school and the right fit, it is a rewarding career unlike many others. Now, of course, uh, dealing with people as you as you do as a leader uh, can sometimes be a bit challenging. People aren't always at their best. They're not infallible. Um, and sometimes uh, they don't get along with each other. How do you resolve conflict within the workplace and within the student population? I think it's about always facing it head on and being really calm and clear about your expectations. Inevitably, there will be conflict in any workplace if that's working with children or working with adults. And I think it's about just being really honest and refusing Mm -hmm. to ignore a situation because if you ignore a situation, it festers and it develops and it becomes worse. So I think not lowering your expectations, having honest conversations um, I tend to do a lot of round-the-table meetings with students if there's conflict or with staff if there's conflict, and we talk it out. And I think that that human interaction um, is the most powerful element, uh, particularly I find within you know staff. It is oftentimes conflict that arises through email. Uh, sometimes email can be a dangerous thing, whereas face-to-face, the significant majority of conflicts can be resolved. Of course. Well, email, it's so easy to become detached uh, and uh, you get something off your chest, you hit the send button and then you go, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Um, Absolutely. Do you think that there needs to be um, not education on it, but more of an encouragement to think twice before one sends? Oh, definitely. I think if you are fired up or very passionate about a situation or you feel very strongly about a situation, it's never the right time to send that email response. If it can wait, Mm -hmm. you know, type it by all means, but save it in your drafts. And if you read it back in the cold light of day and it still seems like a sensible thing to send, then fine. Um, But sometimes there's that element of being a keyboard warrior, you know, that we don't always understand the impact of how we phrase things. And particularly as a leader, what you say to someone in an email can have unintended consequences that perhaps you wouldn't have anticipated. So uh, using email while uh, angry is just as dangerous as shopping after a um, bottle of wine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We um, might as well move on to a a much broader subject. If I was to ask you to objectively identify uh, the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Wow. Um, Tricky, I know. That's really stumped me. Um, I would say probably, and I know this is a bit of a cliche, but somebody like Nelson Mandela Mm -hmm. um, is somebody who resonates a lot with me in the sense that 
he stuck by his principles, um, even when it was difficult to do so, and even when he was going against, you know, the regime and, and viewpoints and all of those things. And he never cowed to pressure, and he stood resolute. And I think that he was somebody who, led by example, um, it would have been very easy to have had a very different approach when he was first elected as the president of South Africa. Uh, but instead, he nurtured a culture of forgiveness and coexistence. And I think that's something which, to me, is really inspiring because it shows that he was really morally led and bound and he did the right thing even when it was difficult to do so. Well, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for Kingsley Academy? I'm really hopeful that we're going to have our strongest set of GCSE exam results that the school has ever seen. Uh, certainly every indication is moving in that direction. And I think that the school's reputation is really growing, uh, not just with families and students in the local community, but with uh, potential teachers and people who want to work at the school as a school, which is a happy, harmonious environment, characterized by high expectations. So I'm hopeful that the reputation of the school will grow and grow. Well, Elroy, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you'd come back on the program at some point in the near future. Elroy, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Elroy Cahill, head teacher of Kingsley Academy. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you, you think you're lucky 
when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and of course a great manager in South Ramsey so to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career of course and, and then your life and that's that's quite purely the case absolutely and in those early days um at West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he, uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. He's absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alfred Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, 
they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alpha, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could... Uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um so that, that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had the, the impact of thinking I. At that stage, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Well, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. 
um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, to just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and the most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was a football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... 
Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely—you've mm. got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they—they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that, struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think 
looking at that. So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful, because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. They, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great I players. You- we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude okay. alongside that, going back to an earlier question. You, we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time it's a huge part of your life I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.